So four gifts. Now, if you're joining us for the first Sunday, you're going to say something like, man, this guy uh, really cracked open his Bible. Now, please understand why. Uh, I've put every scripture on the screen. I don't normally do that. This is not comfortable for me. Typically, we camp out in one scripture, and we're, we go back to that scripture. We're in the Bible constantly, and we're Bible surfing and jumping from chapter to chapter. Um, when it comes to spiritual gifts, we're talking about 16 of them. And either I was going to talk about one every Sunday for 16 Sundays, which is four months, and then you lose the forest for the trees, or I was going to talk about them all in one week. And again, you're like, we, now there's no depth and you have no way to know what your gifting are. And, and, and so, so we, we thought, you know, if we do four a week, we can do it pretty much in depth. Uh, it, it, it's going to be pushing it and we're going to push you and there's a lot to write. Uh, so grab your bulletin and grab your notes and, and I want to give you this little recap. So why we're, we're covering these things, here you go. We're covering these things because the Bible seems to imply that you're just going to know what your gifts are. Now, now the gifts are a big deal because God has given you gifts in order to build up his church. That's what the scripture says. So God has supernaturally gifted you to further his kingdom, to further his church. Uh, and, and all these gifts are for the common good of the church. Okay, And so the Bible just says you're going to kind of know what your gifts are. If, if your gift is teaching, it says let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. Right, And, and so it just kind of assumes that you're going to know. So, so we're explaining the gifts to you. Uh, so that you'll know. We, we, we always want that to be kind of our, our first way to go about it. And again, I'll give you like four signs. If you have three or four of those signs, it's probably a pretty good chance that you might have that spiritual gift. Now, when we're done with that, we'll, we'll, we'll put online a spiritual gift assessment. Some of you have already taken one of those and you already know what your gifts are. Praise Jesus for you. That's awesome. Okay, that's good. Um, but we're, we're going to take a little further and then we're going to let you know how to use those gifts to further the kingdom, to, to, to serve the church. Okay, so we'll have that available to you once you once you get those things. And, and here's the last thing we would say to you is, is if you're not sure, jump in. That, that's, that's the great thing. Jump in because here's how good God is. If you say, God, I love you. I know that you've called me to serve you and you jump in and you fill a hole. God's so good and he loves you so much that he's going to show you whether or not that's the hole you should be filling. And he's going to say, listen, I love you. Thank you for serving me. But I don't think this is for you. I think you need to come over here. Right. God's going to do that for you. And so I would say start serving and God's going to reveal to you uh, uh, how he's gifted you and how he wants you to use those gifts. OK, so four things we're going to cover this morning. Let's start with this one. Uh, I want to talk to you about the spiritual gift of shepherding, the spiritual gift of shepherding. Uh, Ephesians 4:11, which will be in quite a bit today. Ephesians 4:11 says this. It says it was he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors uh, and teachers. Uh, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And that, that word pastors in, in the Greek, it's poimen, uh, and, and it literally means shepherd. It, it literally means shepherd. That, that, that's what it means. And so uh, let, let's, let's kind of define this gift and, as we think about what a shepherd is and what a shepherd does. Uh, the spiritual gift of shepherding is the ability to nurture, uh, to nurture, to care, to guard... And to guide people toward maturity in their walk with Christ. Again, I'll say it one more time. The spiritual gift of shepherding is the ability to nurture, to care, to guard, and to guide people toward maturity in their walk with Christ. And some of you that were here last week said that kind of sounds like the gift of encouragement. Because encouragement, the point of encouragement was maturity in Christ. And you're right. But the gift of encouragement focuses on motivation. An encourager is there to motivate somebody. Come on, you can do it. You can be like Jesus. Come on, you can do it. Get up, my friend. Get up. You can do this. So it's all about motivation. Whereas shepherding is all about the care and the guiding and the guarding. See, it's a different role. The encourager is not the guarder. 
The, the encourager is not the guide. The encourager is just the motivator. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. But the shepherd is the one that walks in front, uh, that protects, that does all those things. Okay, and, and, and of course, we immediately think of, when we think of biblical examples, hello, Jesus. Uh, he's pretty high on the list. The Bible says he's the good shepherd. Um, I like to say the best shepherd, the best of the best, right? He, Jesus is the best shepherd that there ever was. He's the good shepherd. He, he, the Bible says that, you know, the, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And, and that's that's what Jesus is, of course. It says that, that he knows his sheep and his sheep know, know his voice. That we're going to be able to distinguish Jesus' voice from all those voices in the world. And, and, and guys, I, I've told you this before. We did a study on Bedouin shepherds here kind of as a staff. And, man, these guys know their sheep so well uh, in the Middle East that, that, you know, a lot of times when, when they're out to pasture, there's no place to, to, to put their sheep at night, so they want to protect them. So they, they pile up rocks and they make a little sheep pen. And they don't have a door, so they just leave a little opening. And, and, and the shepherd himself is the door. That's so why Jesus says, I am the gate, okay? He said, it's through me that all the sheep have to enter in to heaven. That's John 14, 6 kind of theology there. So literally, they would lay there, and they would call the sheep to themselves like, Hey, here, Timmy. Come on, Timmy. And when and now, now, listen, if it called Timmy and Johnny came, and let's say it was pitch black, and there's no way to see because there's, there's a storm, and, and so the moon is blocked and the stars are blocked. This is how well the shepherds know their sheep. They could actually just feel them. And they go, oh, get out of here, Johnny. I called Timmy. Timmy, come on, Timmy. They know them so well, they could just feel them in the dark and they would know what sheep it is. This is how intimate the shepherds are with their sheep. Now, guys, you look at me for a second. Some of you think that God is too big and too busy to know you. You think that God is too busy uh, to, to be involved in all the little things of your life. No, my friend, you're mistaken. God is just big enough to know every detail of your life, to know everything that's going on, to know you intimately, and he does. It's kind of a big deal. He's the good shepherd. And so we, we always start with, with, with Jesus. Um, man, Jesus had this gift. Paul Paul had a great shepherd's heart. Paul had the, the, the heart of a pastor. He bled for the churches. Read I, I read his letters. I mean, there are some people, some people are gifted writers, right? I, I write some, but, but I struggle. My wife is a gifted writer. She writes, I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And I'm like, oh, I sound like an idiot when I do it, but I'm going to write anyway. Um, but, but, but Paul, when he wrote, man, you, his heart is on the page and you just see him. He's just, he's just bleeding for the churches. He longs for the churches and the men and women of God to be everything that God has called him to be. He has a shepherd's heart, right? He has, he has a shepherd's heart. Um, I, who else? Let's see. Um, deacons. Stephen. For instance, Stephen had a shepherd's heart. You know, people think that the gift of shepherding is only for pastors because that's the word that's translated in the NIV, which a lot of us use. Uh, but you don't have to be a pastor to be a shepherd. Deacons have a pastor's heart often. They care for, they want to guide, they want to guard people under their care. You know, here in our church, if you're a, if you're a member, you have a deacon assigned to you. They're, they're, they're the under-shepherd. And, and, and they, they actually guard over you and guide you. That's the person you call when you've got to run to the hospital or, or when you lose a job. Or, and, and, and these great men, man, they, they, they're the rocks of this church. And, and they love our people and they care for our people. They have pastor's hearts. Sunday school teachers are that way. Okay, and so that that's what shepherding is. So how do you know if you have it? Um, here are some signs. And, and this is, again, kind of set up like you might be a redneck if. Okay, you might be a shepherd if. And, and that, here we go. Uh, one, you might be a shepherd if you have a deep love for people that compels you to care for them. 
It compels you into action. Now, that's what a shepherd is. It's not just somebody that loves people. You know, I know a lot of people that love people. Oh, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. That's awesome. But are you doing anything because of the love? Because that's what a shepherd does. A shepherd's not content with just saying, hey, I love you. I'm here for you. The shepherd is always looking for opportunities to serve because they love you. Because they love you. Okay, that's number one. Number two, um, the, the shepherd enjoys mentoring and watching others grow in Christ. If you enjoy mentoring people, which, by the way, is a life process. Uh, mentoring is one of those things you have to do life together. You don't get to be a mentor if you don't want to get into somebody's business. Okay, you kind of got to get into somebody's business. There's usually accountability. So you're going to walk with them through life. Um, if you enjoy that because you like seeing progress in somebody's life, you might have the spiritual gift of shepherding. Number three, if you have a burden to help others overcome problems and to protect them from bad influences, you might have the gift of a shepherd. Guys, that's the shepherd's heart. They, they, they want to get in, into the heart of people that are struggling. And, 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 and by the way, that's, that's who people are. Uh, you don't get to be a shepherd if you don't like sinners. Okay? Because, by the way, that's what church is. Church is full of a bunch of sinners that have been redeemed by the grace of God. We're not perfect people. Uh, we don't pretend to be here. Uh, if you're looking for a, a church with a whole bunch of perfect people, I promise you, you're in the wrong location. Wrong location. Okay, so, so a shepherd understands that. They're not surprised when somebody sins, right? Are, are you ever shocked when your kid tells you no? Is that, is that shocking to you when your child disobeys you? It shouldn't be. They're a sinner, right? They're a sinner, okay? So when they look at you and say things like, well... I understand that. I know that you want me to clean my room, but it's not really my room. You told me the other day that everything I had was yours. So I think you should pick up your stuff. Sin. Sin. I know you think I should beat that sin out of them. That's not how it works. Doesn't work that way. Number four. Number four. Uh, You may have this gift if uh, you have a following of people. That come to you and trust you because you've demonstrated love and care for them. Shepherds always have a following. Now, now listen, your following doesn't have to be two, three hundred people. Your following doesn't have to be, you know, 50, 60 people. Your following may be five, it might be six, it might be three. But there are people that come to you and they come to you with problems and they come to you because you have demonstrated that you love them, okay, that you will meet them where they are, but you will not leave them there. That's a great sign of a shepherd. We're willing to get down into the mud and the mire. You've got to be willing to get down into the mud and the mire. You can't help people. But just like Jesus got down in the mud and the mire to meet you where you were, he loved you too much to leave you there. That's what a shepherd does. They're willing to get down in the mud and the mire, but they love you too much to leave you there. And so uh, that's, that's, a, that's a big deal. You have people that follow you because you've demonstrated your love for them. Okay, that's shepherding. Second gift. Let's talk about faith. Faith. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9 says, To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, and, and to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, uh, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. And that word faith there, it, that's exactly what it means in the Greek. It means just that. It means faith or belief or, or assurance. And so this is how we would define the spiritual gift of faith. Because, you know, if we're Christians, we all have faith. You have to have faith. Right. It's by grace that we're saved through faith. So we have to have faith to fall into the grace of God uh, in order to be saved. But but this is more than just that. Okay. so the spiritual gift of faith is the ability to see what needs to be done. 
Okay, and I'm going to I'm going to pause there. I want to walk you through this. So the ability to see what needs to be done. So the spiritual gifts starts by seeing the, the great problems before you. Okay, so that so the people with, with the spiritual gift of faith, they see the problems and, and then get this. They trust God to accomplish. They trust God to accomplish. it. Now, here's the difference. Most Christians don't have the spiritual gift of faith necessarily. So most Christians, this is us, we see the world's problems. We understand that there are people that are dying of preventable disease. We know that there are people that are dying because they don't have food on their table. We know that there are kids that have worms and infestations in their feet because they don't have shoes to wear. We, we, we know that the gospel has to reach the nations. We know the call that God has put on us, but we kind of get there and, and it's kind of like you had a busy uh, few weeks at your home, right? Have you ever done that where you were out and you were running every day for, say, two weeks and all of a sudden you walk into your house and you know you have to clean it and you are just so overwhelmed by everything that has to be done that you're like, hey, let's let's go out to eat and get a hotel room tonight, right? I, I, I mean, you ever get overwhelmed by life, okay? And most Christians, guys, we get overwhelmed. We see the world's problems. We see everything that's going on. But, but all of a sudden, it's so big. It's so great. How can we ever be used by God to have an impact in these great big world problems? And we just freeze up because we're overwhelmed, but not so with those that have the spiritual gift of faith. Those that have the spiritual gift of faith, go back one second for me. They have the ability to see it and then they trust God to accomplish it. Even though the odds of doing so seem insurmountable to most. That's the spiritual gift of faith. It's a big deal. These people are needed Because you know what these people do? They come up to the rest of us that are frozen and they go, hey, McFly, God's big. Remember, you read it, made the heavens and the earth, everything that we see and we don't. Remember, he, he calls the stars out by name. Our God does. Hello. Trust him. He's big. Right. He tells the oceans they could only come this far. That's the God you serve. You have somebody in your life like that when you, you think everything's falling apart and they just step in you and they lovingly tell you, say, hey. Trust God. He's got this, man. He's huge. He has the power to do and accomplish whatever he wants to do and accomplish. Okay. And so uh, some people that had had this uh, spiritual gift, of course, Jesus, he's at the top of every list. He's the only one that had every gift. Um, Jesus had full faith in the father. You think about the garden of Gethsemane. You think about facing the cross. You think about the weight of the world upon his shoulders, which we're about to get in that time of celebration is we, we, we get ready for Palm Sunday next week. And you think about everything that Jesus is going to face. And there in the garden, he's willing to say, not my will, but your will be done. And how do you say that? You say that because you have the gift of faith. You know that God is always right. You know that God will handle it. You know that God will bear it. Okay, so Jesus is kind of a big deal there. Paul had great faith. He was a man of great faith. Stephen, the Bible says, was full of faith in the book of Acts. Think about Mary. Hello. How faithful is that, right? Angel shows up to you, which, by the way, every time an angel shows up in the Old Testament, people freak out and kind of pee themselves. You study scripture, they really do. They like fall and freak ah! Like it's just, you take the pose, you know. Plane's going down, duck and cover. And, and so angel shows up and you find me somebody that was like, oh, hey, what's up, dude? There's not. They fall on their face. They tremble in fear because angels are powerful, right? Because they're messengers of God. And so, man, the angel of the Lord comes to Mary and, and, and is like, hey, listen, Mary. Um, so, so this is what's going to happen. You're going to, you're virgin, but you're going to have a baby. I don't want to explain all the anatomy of that, but you're going to have it because the Holy Spirit's going to come over you. By the way, the baby you have is going to be the son of the most high. It's going to be the son of God. Okay. 
And she's like, okay, sure. Whatever, whatever you say, right? Whatever you say. You're going to be the mother of, 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 of Jesus. He, he's going to be, he's going to be part man and, and, and fully man and, and fully God. He's, he's going to have, like, 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 you're going to raise him up. He's going to be fully man, but he's also going to be fully God. And I'm not going to explain to you how that's going to work. Um, it's going to be supernatural. You're going to be the only person on the face of the planet that has ever happened to you. Okay? She's like, yeah, okay. Okay. Wow. Full of faith. Full of faith. Peter. Uh, Peter, Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, Peter's walking to the temple uh, with John and they're going to worship, they're going to pray. And there he sees a man sitting outside the gate, beautiful. And the man's feet were, were crippled and, and he'd been that way since birth. And everybody knew of the man, but nobody really saw the man. And for some reason, Peter looks at the guy and the guy says, hey, can I have some money? And instead of throwing him a coin, he actually looks at the guy. He actually sees the guy's hurt. He actually sees the guy's need. This is what Jesus did, by the way, consistently. Right, right. A, a, a woman with with an adulterous past comes to anoint him, and, and and everybody's talking about how she's of ill repute. Oh, don't you know her? That's that hooker from blah blah blah, and and they're speaking bad things about her. And this Jesus says, "Do you see her?" He says, "Do you see her? Look at this woman." Jesus always saw people. And, and Peter, for some reason, full of the Holy Spirit that day on the way to the temple to pray. It's not just a beggar. It's a child of God. And he looks at this person. He really sees, he says, listen, you look at me. Do you see me? You look at me. And the name of gold or silver, I don't have. But in the name of Jesus, I say to you, get up and walk. Because there was a greater need than just food that day. There's a greater need, and, and he really saw that need, right? And, and, and so Peter, full of faith, says, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. This guy's feet are transformed. He jumps to his feet and starts dancing. And he's hopping and skipping and dancing into the temple. And people are like, wasn't that the guy that was lame since birth? Yeah, that's the guy that you went by every single day, but you never really saw him. But God did. God knows him. He's full of faith, right? Hebrews 11, hall of fame of faith. Any of those folks, man, go do a Bible study with your kids on the people from the book of Hebrews or from chapter Hebrews uh, of Hebrews 11, man. Great, great stuff. So all those so signs that you might have the gift of faith. This is my favorite one of the whole day. OK, here we go. You view obstacles as opportunities for God. You view if you view obstacles in life as opportunities for God to show off and you trust him to do that, then you probably have the gift of faith. I'm just going to be honest with you. If like the rest of us, obstacles freak you out, you're like, ah, you don't have it. But if you just view obstacles in life as just another opportunity for God to show himself and to show his glory, then you might have the, the gift of faith. Number two, uh, if you live uh, with, with the life verse, if you rely on the truth of Romans 8.28, if that's like your verse, man, and, and you're always quoting it to somebody, somebody's always struggling in life, and you're like, hey, listen, don't you know that God always works for the good of those that love Him and are called according to His purpose? If that's your verse and you go to that all the time, you probably have the gift of faith because this is what faithful men and women say to the rest of us all the time. They're like, hey, God's got it. God's going to work this for good. I know that you feel alone. I know that you feel neglected. I know that you feel like you can't do anything. I know that you feel like a failure. I know that you feel like you've messed up too many times. But let me tell you this. God always works for the good of those that love him and that are called according to his purpose. He who began a work in you will bring it about to completion. That's who my God is. And that's who your God is. That's what they do. It's kind of a big deal. All right. Number three. If it drives you crazy when someone believes that something cannot be done or accomplished. All right. 
if, if you're there and, and, you know, you're there with your little group of friends and I'll, I'll just pick on the ladies first. I can pick on the men later. But let's just say, ladies, you're kind of out. You're having like a little ladies night. Everybody's talking and, and somebody says, I just don't know what I'm going to do with my child. I just don't know in this and this. And they, they're pouring their heart out. I mean, bless their heart. They're pouring their heart out. And it's tough because raising kids is hard. And people didn't tell us that when we started talking about getting married. They just said, oh, it's going to be awesome. You're going to get married and you're going to have a wife and you two will really enjoy each other. And I'm thinking, yeah, that sounds great. And then come these things called kids and they're great blessings, but like they don't take care of themselves. Right. I mean, it's like when you get it, when you get a puppy for the first time, you want that sucker potty trained when it comes home. And all of a sudden it's peeing on your brand new wood floor. What is this? You're supposed to be cute and cuddly. You're not supposed to make a mess. And now you have kids and then they multiply. It's like. You remember? They multiply. It was like, what's that, gremlins? Like, all the, what, did water get on them and all of a sudden I've got six of them? How did that happen? I don't, I'm sure you can tell me after service how it happened. But, um, and, and, and all, so now I've got multiple of them and, and they all demand time and attention. Get, get me, please hear me. I know that it's tough, but here's the deal. You can't give up on them. You can't think that just because they're strong-willed or difficult that somehow they're never going to make it in life. Why? Because you can't really mess them up so bad that God can't redeem them. You can't. I'm living proof. If you want to argue about it, let's do it, brother. We'll start with Hezekiah and we'll end up right here. There is no kind of generational sin that God is not big enough to overcome. I stand before you as a living, breathing testimony of it. So relax. If they don't get into the alpha, super smart, ahead of your time, I graduated with 2,000 college credits and a master's degree from high school. It's going to be okay. Deep breath. God is sovereign, not the school system. God is sovereign, not the sports academy. God is sovereign. He is. It's the gift of faith. We're just going to go over. Y'all just get ready, okay? That was free of charge. That wasn't in here. Uh, Number four, you might have the gift of faith if you have a vibrant prayer life and you have many examples of how God has answered your bold prayers. Because here's the difference with the people that have the spiritual gift of faith and the people that don't. The people that have the spiritual gift of faith, they take the Bible at its word. And when the Bible says that you can boldly approach, they actually do. While the rest of us are so afraid to go to God with, well, God doesn't want to hear my problems. God's too busy to hear about my work situation. God's too busy to hear me complain about This or that. Where the people with faith, they just go to God with everything. And they let God be God and sort it out. They're like machine gun prayers. Like, God, I need you to take care of this and I need you to take care of that. And I trust you with this and I trust you with that. And God, you know what? I'm just going to pray right now that you would do the impossible because you're a God that says that you can move mountains. And I trust you to move mountains. And if you made the heavens and the earth and you really call out the stars by name, then by golly, this little thing in my life is nothing for you. And they just call on God and say, God, would you show up and be the creator, uh, amazing, powerful God that you are? And they call on God like that. They boldly call. And you know what? God answers. We've got some friends that um, the wife went to China on a mission trip and they had already adopted one little girl from China. And they're there and they found this. She found this beautiful little girl and she was calling her husband going, oh, man, she's awesome. And she's so cool. And blah, blah, blah. And so he's like, well, let's adopt her. 
He's a pastor. Ah. And they're like, what? What are, you, what are you talking about? Well, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's start on. And so they start on dossiers and home studies and all this stuff. And, and there's no way that it should have worked out. But here's what they said. They said, we feel like God's calling us to this. And we're just going to ask him to move mountains. Would you join us and seriously pray? God, would you move this mountain? And God did. And that little girl was at home with them already in just a very, very short time. God provided the funds. God provided the way. God got that girl into their house because she was made for them. Okay? That's what people, men and women of faith do. All right. Number three. Number three. Evangelism. Ephesians 4.11. It was he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, some to be pastors and teachers. And so uh, let's define evangelism. Evangelism is is the spiritual gift. By the way, evangelism is not just... uh, it's not just the guy, somebody that's an evangelist. It's not just the guy that comes to churches when the church puts on calendar that they're going to have a revival, which I think is hokey, by the way. I, how, how does the church decide? Well, you know what? We're going we're gonna to go ahead and plan that God will move supernaturally and revive all of our hearts and we'll get right with him. That should happen on June 20th. What? That happens when God's people pray and they start seeking his face and then God moves. Okay? By the way, in case you're wondering why we don't have a scheduled revival. Sorry. Free of charge. Ah. Uh, Here's what evangelism is. It's the spiritual gift, ability, and desire to boldly communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ with non-Christians that they might be saved. Get this, by God. That's kind of big. These people don't save them. They are saved by God. These people are just speaking the gospel to them. They have the boldness to to do what God's called them to do, which is to go and make disciples. And so they speak the gospel so that God can save them uh, and so that these non-Christians can become Christians. That's what evangelists do. That's what the spiritual gift of evangelism looks like. Who had this gift? Okay, we'll start again with Jesus. Luke 19, 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save those that are lost. This was Christ's mission, to seek and save the lost. He was all about it. Uh, In fact, he spent so much time with the lost people that people considered that he himself might be lost. Do you remember? They They called our Jesus a drunkard. That's what they said of him. Why? Because he hung out with lost people. What do they call us? Like a monk? I don't know. What are we? We're always a caterpillar. We're we're all inside. We're never outside with lost people. Jesus was always with lost people. That was his mission, okay? Philip, the evangelist. You remember the story of Philip, right? So so Acts 1-8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so so uh, Pentecost, church of 3,000 in one day, it goes from 150 to 3,000. God starts adding to their number daily. Soon they get above 5,000. Uh, persecution breaks out. Persecution breaks out. Church is growing, man. I'm going to attack that church. And so, so what happens then? Uh, what, what happens is, is they take off. And so Philip ends up in Samaria with the half-breed people that nobody wants to talk to. And he starts sharing Christ with them. And the Holy Spirit comes upon the Samaritans. And all of a sudden, man, he is like the Billy Graham of Samaria. And Philip has this thriving ministry. He's the man. There is no waffle house he goes into that somebody doesn't pull out their chair and say, hey, you sit with me. Man, he is a rock star of the faith. And then suddenly God says, no, 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 listen, I know you've got a thriving ministry, but I want you to go out to the desert road on the way to Gaza because Gaza's been destroyed, by the way. He's going, Lord, where are you calling me in the desert? And there he sits and he waits. And here comes a chariot with a fill, uh, with an Ethiopian eunuch in it. And the Ethiopian eunuch is reading out loud from the scroll of Isaiah. And Philip's like, yes, Lord, this is why you called me here. And so he runs alongside the chariot. He says, do you understand what you've been saying? Reading, like, do you get this? And he's running next to him. It never says that the chariot stops 
Acts, which is awesome because I ran the other night so I could do this here in service. And he just keeps, and he's explaining to him what's going on there the whole time. Why? Because he had a heart to see non-Christians become Christians. It was his heartbeat. That's the heartbeat of an evangelist. It's a heartbeat of an evangelist. Philip Timothy, uh, Paul urges his son in the faith. says, do the work of evangelism. Do the work of evangelism. You're going to be a pastor. You're going to be a great teacher. But don't you forget the gospel. Do the work of evangelism. Make sure you focus on lost people, Timothy. Okay, big deal. Uh, how, how do you know if you have the gift? Number one, you enjoy interacting with non-Christians and sharing the gospel. Believe it or not, you like lost people. Not because you want to get drunk with them. Not because you want to get high with them. Not because you want to cuss it up one side and down the other. Not for any of those reasons. But those things don't offend you because you realize that people are sinners. See, you don't expect them to be holy because they're unregenerate. You don't expect them to be right because they're sinners. And that doesn't bug you because you see your primary goal in life to go sit amongst sinners and to tell them about how much God loves them. And so you get comfortable with that. Somebody drops an F-bomb, you don't go, You just talk to them. You talk to them about who God is. You enjoy interacting with non-Christians and sharing the gospel. Number two, you might have that gift. If you know the gospel and you can communicate it in a way that non-Christians understand. Friends, I'm just going to be honest with you. I think one of the things that's plaguing the church today, especially the church in America, is we don't know the gospel. We don't know the gospel. We're telling people as long as they pray some kind of magic little St. Patrick's Day prayer, they're saved, you know. I mean, it's it's like Lucky Charms. Oh, maybe, you know, well, that's pirates. Okay, anyway, but you follow me, right? I mean, it's just like, hey, you walk the aisle, you pray the prayer, we're going to dunk you and we're good and we just leave you there. And yet the gospel never says that. See, there's no followers in the Bible. There are no followers of Christ that aren't actually following Christ. See, to be saved means that you, you end yourself and you, you give yourself to Him and now, now you're following Him for the rest of your life. It's following Christ. It's not just praying a prayer and saying, hey, hey, help, I, I need help, I'm stuck here. It, it, it's going, hey, I'm stuck and I realize that I'll always be stuck without you, so I give myself to you completely, entirely, and from now on I am yours. I'm your follower. And then you, you say amen and you actually follow. And those are the only people that are saved. There's a lot of people that will pray that prayer or say, Jesus, Jesus. But on that day, they'll, they'll say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not drive out demons and prophesy in your name? And he'll say, away from me, I knew you not. Clearly, there are many people that think that there are Christians that are not truly Christians. And so, so you have to know the gospel. We are all accountable to God. Every single one of us. We have sinned, right? We have sinned. We are enemies of God. That's who we are. We're enemies of God, and because we're all accountable to God, one day we're going to have to pay for our sin, and, and, and the wages of our sin is costly. It is death. The, the payment for sin has always been death. The moment that sin entered the world, death entered the world, and God clothed them with skin so that they wouldn't be ashamed of their nakedness anymore. The moment that death entered the world, or sin entered the world, death entered the world, and so there's no way for sin to be paid for except through death. And, and, and so here's the deal. God's not good. God's perfect. See, God's so much better than good. And what we tell people is, listen, I know that you think if you go to church and you read your Bible and you pray a little prayer and you get dunked, that you're going to be a better person. But God's God's standard is not better. God's standard is perfect. And without Jesus, you can't be perfect. Jesus is the perfect one. He lived the perfect life. And he came and he died on the cross. And when his blood was shed, God said, I'll accept his death as penalty for yours if you put your faith, trust in him, and follow him. 
That's the gospel. I'm afraid we've missed it. But if you know the gospel and you can communicate the gospel to somebody, you might have the gift of evangelism. Okay, number three. When someone accepts Christ, it brings you profound joy. Profound joy. You say, what kind of joy, pastor? It just make me kind of warm and fuzzy. No, I mean, you get up and you get excited, right? Okay, it drives me nuts when we have baptisms and somebody, you know, has just said, you know what, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. And they come up out of the water and we're like, golf clap. Golf channel, golf channel. Are you, are, are you kidding me? I almost said something in church I shouldn't say. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Now, because when your favorite quarterback throws a touchdown with 10 seconds left on the game, you spill your Cheetos all over the living room floor. Right? The last time it happened, you had to buy a new TV because you accidentally were so excited, you threw the remote into it. Right? You're so excited about that, yet somebody has just said, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and I will no longer walk in sin. I'm going to walk in newness of life. And we golf clap. Something's broken with the church. I'm not talking about fake joy. I'm talking about real, genuine joy. Right? I'm talking about real tears and real joy and real passion for the people of God. I challenge you, next time there's a baptism, don't sit down and shut up. Think about it. Think about how excited you get when whoever the New Texans quarterback is throws one into the back of the end zone. If you're a Cowboys fan, it's Romo. Don't worry, it'll be intercepted. Um... Love you. I'm, I'm ignoring the clock at this point. So welcome to the 11 o'clock service. Um, if you're timely, come to the 830 because I have to be out in time for Sunday school. All right, number four. Um, Sanjeev may have the gift. If you find it easy to direct a conversation toward the topic of Jesus. This is somebody that's really good at, at finding what I call in conversation bridge words. There's always a word in any conversation that, that can be a bridge to talk about the gospel. Okay, maybe somebody says, well, you know, hey, how are you doing? Well, not so good. I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm so tired. I'm just so tired. Okay, boom, you're tired. All right, so the, I'm, I'm going to now talk to this person about how tired they are and how Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. You'll find rest for your souls, right? I've just found a way to start talking to them about my Jesus. All right, so I'm looking for bridge words. If you do those things naturally, you don't have to work super hard at those. You, you probably have the spiritual gift of evangelism, all right? Lastly, uh, spiritual gift of apostleship. Lots of misunderstanding about this, so we'll try to clarify. Two verses of Scripture. One is 1 Corinthians 12, 28. It says, in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and it goes on and on. Uh, and then in Ephesians uh, 4.11 again, it says, It was he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. So let's, let's, um, let's, let's talk about what this is not. Um, don't get confused with the office of apostle and the gift of apostleship. The office of apostle, there were 12, they're all dead. You follow me? They're all dead. Okay? Now, when somebody would come to you today and say, hey, I'm an, I, I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what they're trying to do is say, I have special words of knowledge and what I say is equal with scripture and you should do what I say. And I don't care if you have a title and you call yourself the Pope or, or, or you just, you know, built yourself a little complex outside of Waco. I, I, I don't care if you think yourself to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and you think that what you say is, is equal authority to scripture. No, brother, you need to run the other way from that person because the Bible say there were there, there there's going to be many antichrists. 
Okay? So, so that stuff's done. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about the gift of apostleship. So what is it? Uh, the gift of apostleship is this. The spiritual gift of apostleship is the ability to minister cross-culturally. Okay, uh, that means that we're ministering across age. So, so it's not about ageism. You, you can't be an ageist, a racist, a sexist. You can't be any of those things and have, have the gift of apostleship. Okay, so it's cross-culturally, uh, often moving from place to place in order to start and establish new churches. Start and establish new churches. Now, a lot of people would call this a church planter today, but there's also another thing called a church re- revitalizationist, uh, and, and that's somebody that goes into an old church that's dying, and, and, and they, they, they give themselves to, to the process of making that church, bringing that church uh, back to life in Christ. Okay, And so uh, both of those things, you can have the gift of apostleship there. And the reason why is, folks, we just need to, it doesn't matter how long the church has been around. If a church is dying, it's dying. It needs to be brought to life. right? So it's still a new thing. It's a new thing. It's a new work. So these people like that stuff. These people like that stuff. So some people that did this, um, uh, some, some people that had, had this gift. Of course, Jesus, the Son of Man, came, came to seek and, and save those that are lost. Uh, I'm going on the wrong one. Okay, Jesus, uh, architect and builder of the church. Um, Paul had that gift. Paul, Paul planted and started many churches. Peter, the same thing. Um, so signs that you might have it. We'll give you these four things and we'll be done. Uh, number one, you, you have an entrepreneurial spirit and you can start a church from nothing. Okay? If, if you if you love people and 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 you're one of those people that you don't mind starting from scratch, you don't mind saying, "Hey, this is how it'll have to happen, and we'll start here, and then we'll do this, and then we'll do that," and you're okay with that, and then then you might you might have the gift of apostleship. Okay, number two, um, if you can effectively work and minister with people of different backgrounds and ethnic groups, again, if if you have the gift of apostleship, you you cannot be racist, you cannot be sexist. Uh, you, you, you cannot be ageist. You can't, you can't discriminate based on socioeconomic status. It's not about how much people make. That's not your goal. Your goal is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's your goal. All people. All people. And, and so I, I'm a huge believer that when you walk into a church, any church, I don't care if that church is deep south, uh, Georgia, or, or way up north, there, there should be white people, black people, old people, young people, everything in between. There should be people that, 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 that are struggling to get by and people that are doing real well off um, because that, that should be the way that that looks. Okay, number three, uh, you can succeed in ministries where others have failed. Okay, let, let me share with you a misnomer. Uh, a statement, and and and, uh, and here it is. Uh, when uh, help me out with a statement. I just had an early search. When the when the when times get tough, the tough get going, right? Okay. When times get tough, the tough get going. We say that all the time. Unfortunately, in too many churches, that's the truth. When times get tough, the tough get going. They leave. But that person doesn't have the gift of apostleship. See, the person with the gift of apostleship, when the times get tough, they stay. (laughs) Because they understand that to do a work of God, it's not easy. Okay? It's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult because you're working with sinners. Because we all are sinners. Right? And so they say, listen, I I don't have any expectations that somebody won't yell at me or or fight with me. I don't have any expectations that the church won't take three steps forward and then two steps back. I, I, I understand the process of this. But I'm not going to give up. When the going gets tough, that's what it is. When the going gets tough, the tough stay. That's the gift of apostleship. When the going gets tough, the tough stay. The tough don't get going. It's kind of a big deal. All right, lastly, if you have a number of gifts such as evangelism, teaching, 
leadership, faith, and exhortation, uh, and you're motivated by difficult tasks, you might uh, have the gift of apostleship. You might have the gift of apostleship, okay? It's a lot. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked you last couple weeks. Based on those things we just went over, anybody have one of those gifts? Say No no T-Rex arms, all the way up. I have one of those gifts. I've got it. Awesome. Okay, awesome. Gift of faith? All right, I won't call you out. Awesome. See, man, I need faithful people. Uh, people with a gift of faith, y'all need to encourage the rest of us. Two more things and we're done. All right, so what do you do? Keep praying over these things. Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. Lord, is this me? God, I'm trying to figure this out. I talked to somebody this week. They've already taken like two or three spiritual gift tests. They really want to know. Just keep praying. Keep praying for now. Just keep praying. Wait, spiritual gift tests are coming. Keep praying over these gifts. Number two, keep Jesus first. Okay? Keep Jesus first. Here's how you remember it. I made you a pretty picture this week. Ready? Jesus over everything. That's it. That's it. It all starts with Jesus. It's all about personal worship. It's all about personal pursuit. Jesus is king, not us. He's in control, not us. We're trying to figure out who he's made us to be so that we can serve him because Jesus is above everything else in our lives.